everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 304. Fat Frank gets a sponsorship. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Sam and Eddie. Happy uh, July 4th, guys. Hope you celebrated well. Saw a bunch of fireworks, I'm sure. No fireworks. I was pretty tired because I've been out all night after after England's victory. I did try and watch the hot dog eating contest, although the feat just was unwatchable in all the crucial moments. I mean, for a 10-minute experience, it was off the air for two to three but you know yeah they caught a lot of heat for that that was tweeted they said that was tweeted more than the actual breaking of the world record of the hot dogs was that i I don't get glitched the last 30 seconds wait so what happened they cut the feed the feed just started glitching oh technically yeah yeah like the last 30 seconds so you saw not even just not even just the last 30 seconds. It cut out from like yeah. 3.30 to like one fifteen. It came back and it was like, oh, he might be on world record base. And then gone. And then came back and he's like, he's had 76. <laughs> yeah, just sound like celebrating. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an audiovisual guy, but you kind of feel like that's a simple setup for a tech. I mean, that there's, there's still in the same place. You just have a couple of fixed cameras and you're done. Now, I I think it's something we should touch on just briefly. So he won his 14th major title of the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. ESPN put up a statistic that he is now the world's leader in major tournament victories, passing, you want to take a guess at who? For one single event. Um, Nadal, Rafael Nadal, Nadal, Nadal. Yep. <laughs> So right now on the ESPN graphic was Joey Chestnut, fourteen times national Nathan's hot dog eating contest winner. Below him, Rafael Nadal, thirteen French Open titles. <laughs> I mean, imagine when they tell Rafa, he's going to be even more upset about having lost in the semifinal now once he knows that. But bet the again. house on Nadal to win next year, <laughs> or This'll he fire him up. Total change of course. He he July fourth, he shows up and just stomps on Joey Chestnut and eats eighty hot dogs. But that'll be awesome. Just has to precisely order each one of them before he can start eating. Again, this is where I'm unsure of are they in on like is it a serious you know, who within ESPN is taking that kind of seriously? Who is saying like this is sort of funny? But sometimes it seems to be going a little too far for just being, isn't this stupid, but it's funny to watch. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they were more serious than they are joking. So I watched that chugging contest, which was the most embarrassing oh, I, thing. I've the ever lemonade, watched. the lemonade one. Yeah, the guy that was okay, so the, the, gross. That guy. The guy is, with the, I, I'm sorry, the guy but with, that was tough to watch. That was difficult guy, to watch. <laughs> the guy with two tires for tits. He was like reasonably <laughs> impressive. <laughs> the the guy he was competing against. They may as well just brought someone in off the street. Like, he wasn't drinking lemonade any faster than I would drink lemonade. Like, he was just like, this is guy's just like kind of thirsty on the 4th of July out in the hot sun and really wants a drink. 
Like he got through a third of it in the time the other guy crushed it. Like <laughs> they didn't look like they were downing. Like in the build, I think to it, it was more than it looked like it was. It was a gallon. I think that was the tough part. Yeah, but it, it didn't look and it like was in a an awkward. In hands. It was in an awkward thing. To, it was in a jar, so like not easy yeah. to mm. just chug out of without spilling it all over yourself. But still, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot of people chug things in bars. But a gallon is a lot there. more than a few pints. It is, but you, <laughs> yeah. I still expect it to go down in like with some speed. But like you would also guy, still expect relative performance, right? So someone yeah. that's preparing to down a pint doesn't need as much preparation for someone that's going into an ESPN broadcasted event. I mean, you know the guy, Chug, whatever his nickname was. You know he knew he was going to win because he didn't even start quickly. <laughs> his nickname he just, like, was no. Chug. Yeah. <laughs> He was With a born. name like that. He, he was, was born. He was born. <laughs> we can only yeah. hope that that is his given name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the movie is going to write itself. <laughs> just chugging along. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Now I've got. I'll, a, I'll tell you another. I've thing got a. I've got I a wish. sausage sucking nickname joke here to come out with, but I'm not sure how best to phrase it for you, Sam. <laughs> Now, I would be interested to see, I wish the way they could up this is by putting some like biometrics and some vitals on this. I would love to see the heart rate and the blood glucose level of that guy over time after he chugs a gallon of, oh, his his blood glucose must skyrocket. No, but surely there would come a point where I would actually think medical staff would get involved at a certain criteria. So the event would stop. Right. Yeah, that's like one step below watching Christian Eriksen have chest compressions. <laughs> like it's 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 would be uncomfortable viewing. I mean, it's the same when they worked out when they did that thing before when they were speaking about Joey Chestnut's seventy five, his previous record, and they were breaking that so down I, in, by number because they did that thing where I, they I have the said stats. the cost of hot dogs at the, did they the cost of hot dogs at Yankee Stadium. Did that you see one that one have. in the buildup? No. It was like $5,200 if he'd gone to Yankee Stadium and just ordered hot dogs. But then the calories, which I assume you have, the calories is yeah. disgusting. Normal daily consumption should be 2,000 is the estimate, 2,000 calories a day. So, so the 76 is 22,800 calories. That is 1,400 yeah. grams of fat and 1,800 grams of carbs. That is the insane. Thing is, I want to watch a hot dog eating contest where they have to eat them normally, though. Like, I would find that more compelling than watching these people just like it's so disgusting. Like, it is like awful. Like, like shoving <laughs> two in your mouth at the same time. I mean, I'm glad this is I, this is video recording, but only I have access to it. But <laughs> for that, image. for those obviously who who are listening and cannot see, Eddie just did a great reenactment of how they shovel two hot dogs into their mouth. In 10 seconds. Yes. And if I put the video online, it would be X-rated. But there's that. (laughs) And then also just the, you know, like the dump, like squidging balls of buns together and dumping them in water and then just like shoving. Yeah. The bread and water bit is gross. Like it's horrible. So gross. So they, they have to be, so it's the bun, obviously the, the dog itself, and they, they can do whatever they want with it. 
as long as both those bits are eaten or is there any other like stipulations to this like is there ketchup, no. ketchup yeah. and mustard on each Sam, of them it has no, no, to no, go no. down the mouth if that's what you're asking <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you're in <laughs> as long as it goes in the body <laughs> then we're just guys i had 83 no, last weekend it can only go one way it can only go top down <laughs> <laughs> So he won $10,000 for that. That's the that's, that's the prize money. So he's won 120,000 or yeah, 120 over the lifetime of this. But he makes anywhere between 300 to 500,000 a year in endorsements. So not bad yeah, for mean, being in on the joke. But it must be horrible. Like even if he handles <laughs> it well, the next 48 hours must just be horrific, right? Like he had 76 hot dogs that had to come out of him <laughs> at some point in the next 24 hours. Like you can you can you can have as good of a stomach as you got, but like it's still gotta come out, right? That is a hell of a toilet. <laughs> Whatever they've got reinforced, they've got it working. Yeah, that's the worst part for me. I, 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 I mean I'd be interested to know if he throws up. Like I know like you forced. have to keep it down. Yeah, like I know you have to keep it down for a certain amount of time, but like I do wonder if just like post competition, you're just like, nope, just get this out of me. So, so he's also got some other records I want to to throw down here, and tell me if you think this is more or less impressive than the '76 hot dogs. So he owns the Big Mac record of 32 Big Macs in 38 minutes. In in how long? 30 minutes. 38 minutes. 32 Big Macs in 38 minutes. That's quite impressive thir- because there's more Why in 38? it. I don't know. <laughs> What's the significance of 38? Oh, wait, did he, um, did he kind know. of I'm just, just reading the records? For Maybe me, that's he just more stopped. impressive because there's more in it, a Big Mac. So when I was in high school, our football team, when we went on a road trip, we would go to McDonald's if we were in a train station or an airport, and we would do a challenge where we would all eat as many burgers as we could. We'd usually have like an hour and you'd like sit there and we would just, the whole team would try and see who could go through the most, either Whoppers or Big Macs, whichever place we were at. The record in an hour, one guy did like seven. He threw up, but he did like seven. This was full meals though, I will say. You had to drink your drink and you had to eat your fries and it had to be a large meal. But I mean, I think my personal record was like three and that was horrific. So multiply that by 10. <laughs> and Big Macs. Minus the drink and the fries. So, so maybe I could have done six just pure Big Macs, and I still would have felt terrible. Oh. Would you have had... So, okay, someone gives you the tactic of just eating as many Big Macs as possible. Are you deconstructing it? Are you going like patty oh, first, yeah. bun, and then just shredding lettuce at some point in your mouth? Like, how are you I going think. Well, that would be the other aspect of the rules, right? Because, like, you have to go through them one at a time. So you can't, because my ideal tactic would to be eat, like if I had to eat 20 in an hour, would be to eat all the meat first, like separate it out and go meat and then just hope I could get through the buns because that's going to be the thing that <laughs> fills up your stomach, right? That would be my, but if I got to do it one by one, I am breaking it up just to save my jaw. But. I just got the idea of you finishing the meat finishing the bun and then just having a pile of shredded lettuce (laughs) (laughs) so he's got two good donut records eddie the hostess donuts the mini donuts 
the powdered sugared mini ones. He Ooh, did okay. 257 in six minutes of those. No, the powdered awful. sugar has to be an issue because, like, you know, when you have it and you're like, you, <laughs> you inhale it. Cough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like the cinnamon challenge. He then, That's gross. the year before, did 55 glazed donuts in eight minutes. <laughs> the amount of sugar is horrific. Uh, the amount of everything is horrific. Frank, I'm not, I'm not only appalled by the sugar. I mean, again, I, know, but... I just, I, I, I can't help but think about the subsequent bowel movements that have to go on. Like, you know, like it is part of me would be like, can we have an X ESPN, like X rated version where we get to see that? Well, that's what follow-up. I told you. I'd like to see the vitals. I'd like no, to, them I don't to measure see the, the biometrics. I want to, I want a that's big brother style. I want a big like confession <laughs> camera. Where they have to go and sit there, and it's just Joey's chestnut being like, "Oh fuck me! Why seven to six? I only had to eat fifty three to win." Okay, well then wait. The last thing that we'll do, I'm going to read off his other some of his other records. You tell me which one would be the most painful and horrific for him the following time. So he did forty seven grilled cheese sandwiches in ten minutes. 182 chicken wings in 30, six pounds of funnel cake in 10 minutes, 53 soft beef Taco Bell tacos in 10 minutes, 102 tamales in 12 minutes, 121 Twinkies in six minutes, 15 bowls, which is 1.9 gallons of gumbo in eight minutes, 23 meat pies in 10 minutes, or the most random one on the list, 12.8 pounds of deep fried asparagus in 10 minutes. I mean, there's a couple there, right? Which are just really, if we're going to bowel issues, like that could cause some real problems. So those are the ones, but I think the grilled cheese fundamentally sounds like the least pleasant. Because just having the cheese and the bread solidify in your stomach as you continue to eat. I mean, Frank, you and I know from when we went to uh, oh, yeah, Cleveland. To melt. to melt. And like their jumbo size, but still what they consider a normal portion grilled cheese is not possible to eat as a normal human being, basically. Yeah. So to imagine just, I don't know. They all sound awful. I- I don't know if the chick 182 chicken wings is worse or the 53 soft beef tacos from Taco Bell. I mean, that is just. I mean, that's the bowel mover. That's the bowel mover. Oof. Oof. Now, here's the thing is, do we, not to overstate it, because again, I think it's a joke. It's entertaining, but it's a joke. But in some respects, you have to admire him. Kind of touching on a point I just referenced. Because he goes to try and break his world record even though he knows 53, 54 is going to win it. So like he puts himself through a ton of pain and misery just in pursuit of perfection. Whereas, you know, like Rafael Nadal at the Roland Garros, it's not like, Hey, Rafa, you're three sets to love up. Do you want to play another two just in, just for entertainment's sake? And he goes, let me, I'll beat him in five. <laughs> like Heart of a champion. true. Well, I guess moving across the pond from a typical July 4th in America to the 2020 Euro competition, we are on to the semifinals. 
How do we yeah. feel now? So actually, let's let's start with what were your reactions to England's match in the quarter? Because we didn't ha- we haven't covered that yet. You were both confident going in, rightfully so, apparently. Mm-hmm. How did you feel after? Was it as euphoric as the Germany match? No, no, because it was just no. kind of anticlimactic. Because the game was over in like the 60th minute, and then you were kind of just cruise control a bit. It was what I expected, so it was still pleasing, and it was a good performance, particularly at the beginning of the second half when they really did kind of hit fifth gear for a while there. But So I was pleased, but no, it wasn't the same sort of emotional release as the previous round, or as this round might be, or as the final, if it comes to be, and then they go on to win, undoubtedly would be. It, it kind of had the same vibe or feel as the Sweden game, right? You just always felt that England were in control. So it became, I mean, you score within four minutes and you're the better team. You, it's always going to be a lot more easier. Ukraine then have to be a lot more uncomfortable. They can't defend, they can't sit back, and that's going to play into England's hands. I Yeah, I thought it was a really, really solid performance. And there was actually things that came through that we haven't seen recently so set pieces now look pretty good england scoring from headers is good kane scoring too is obviously really good um still not conceding as well it's um it was a pretty perfect night for southgate in england to be honest and uh i don't yeah. think denmark holds too many well it doesn't it holds more problems but not not to the level of the german game what what oh. scares me i don't know if they said it on your broadcast but the one of the first comments after Kane scored in, in the fourth was the last time England scored in the fourth minute of a Euro competition was against Iceland, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and that yeah. just instantly scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I, I was I have to admit in Ukraine for the maybe fifteen minutes immediately after the goal, twenty minutes they kind of came into the match a bit more. There was part of me that thought, "Is this bad for England?" Because for a team that has defensive ten- tendencies what i was concerned about was oh are they now just going to sit back and absorb pressure that they don't really need to be facing because they're protecting a lead and in a sense for the first half they did do that in the second half they came out and just played with confidence and a little bit of swagger and that was good to see yeah uh, and again i have to offer further apologies to luke shaw who put in old big ass just uh he is getting he is getting plaudits across the world, like Roberto Carlos tweeting about him, and it's it's yeah. gr- I mean it's really, is, it's great for England. How much? Even my dad, get? even my dad texted me and said, "How about that fat ass? What a match!" That was his exact <laughs> text. <laughs> so even my dad is aware of Luke Shaw and his prolific ass and the match he had. Well, I mean, just think about it. You know, Mourinho struggled to really get inside Shaw's head and motivate him and get him to be fit and get him to perform week in, week out. It took him, you know, he couldn't do it at United. And then I go on my podcast and insult him a bit and he listens to it. And all of a sudden he's putting in the best performances of his life. So I'm going to take, they should send me at least like a third. They can send me the bottom half of Luke Shaw's medal. How about that? (laughs) That'd be so annoying. (laughs) I've got two questions for both of you. The first is one that we haven't harped on, but obviously others in the media have. Is the is the criticism completely off Harry Kane now? Should everyone just completely shut up now? Has he 
made his stamp on this tournament in the past two matches? Well, yes and no. So the fact that he scored goals, the problems are the same. He's still having to drop really, really deep to get involved in play, but that's not his fault. That's just the way England are playing. And it's, it shows you how much, how results-based a lot of sports sort of analysis is because Harry Kane scores two goals. Wow, what a great performance. There weren't a tremendous amount of differences between what he was doing in this match and what he did in the group stages when he wasn't scoring. It's just that he got chances, whereas he didn't get chances in the first three matches, so he doesn't. he's not going to score goals. Admittedly, you can tell, especially with the way he took on that volley that then went, that Henderson scored from the subsequent corner, you can tell that I think he might feel as if there's kind of a monkey off of his back a little bit and that he's got a more confidence now. And he did look a, li- a little devoid of confidence at times during the Euro. So I don't know if he's made his... Look, he has a chance of being top goal scorer. If England... if if he's top goal scorer in England win the Euros, no one's going to remember the group stages when he didn't score. If anything, people will then use it as, what an even more impressive campaign because he didn't even score in the group stages. Like that's how they would go down in history. So that's the interesting part. Yeah. And also some of the criticism shouldn't have been there in the first place because as we've always said, like a lot of what Kane does isn't the goal scoring. It's the fact that he brings two defenders when he's getting marked in the box. So it means that you've got freer wing play which is how sterling was able to run at the germans before passing to kane for example and he does a lot more the criticism should have been there the only single criticism which is a big one but was that he wasn't scoring now he is scoring so i kind of feel like i i think he's kind of been let loose like you say i think that volley was like a real moment for me i was like there's a bit of a swagger going on with this team at the moment it was it was great to see it's rare to see as well for 30 years of supporting this nation. Along similar lines, I have a question, which is, it's not a question as such, but a topic, I guess. It's interesting to think of how, and again, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here because England haven't made a final yet and England haven't won anything yet. But even back-to-back semifinals is an achievement in the context of what England have done historically. Even if they shouldn't, like, they've not done anything incredible by making it to either of these semifinals. How much is this tournament changing the sort of perception and legacy of a lot of England players? For example, take Jordan Pickford. He's now the second greatest England goalkeeper of all time. Say, and then reverse it, say players who are not as involved, Raheem Sterling, for example, on the back of this tournament is will put himself into the argument of like, does he start to make an all time England 11 as a winger? Harry Kane, obviously, if they win the tournament, then starts to enter that argument of greatest English players of all time. And then similarly, but say Marcus Rashford, who's a fringe player who maybe you would have expected to have been more heavily involved. It must almost, I know you all want your team to win, but there must be part of you that feels like, there's a possibility that some players really, really go down, that they are the Jeff Hurst or, you know, Bobby Moore or Bobby Charlton of this era. And if you don't, and Jeff Hurst's a great example, right? Because wasn't in the England team, came in for the, you know, scores the hat-trick in the final. Apart from that, not a, not a very noteworthy England career, but goes down in history as having one of the greatest achievements in football. Yeah, I mean, when you look at 
what England have done over the last three years compared to the last 40 or 50. It's actually pretty special what's going on. And I think actually you take a kind of step outwards and go a little bit more higher up. I think what Southgate's done as well for the first time I've seen ever is everyone is on board. They used to have all the all the red, uh, what you call them, the red tabloid papers like the Sun, the Daily Mirror, all those kind of ones. Any opportunity in the early noughties to hit that team, you know, the Beckham team, uh, the uh, they would take. They would always try and be negative about it. They would always try and find a problem with the team. There would always be something toxic going on with this squad. And then it was always reflected. If there was one bad performance, everyone would set out to be against this team. Whereas now a decade later you're looking at Southgate where all he has done is shield and create this kind of like well of positivity around every single player which means every single player then plays to their potential they don't play with this massive England expects kind of mentality against them and lo and behold looks what happens so like Eddie said you're starting to see these heroes of a squad develop like Sterling now scoring in knockout games seems to want to score every game Kane kind of leading from the front Maguire I hope he wants to score every game yeah. Sam. well yeah, of course <laughs> if now, this was yeah, the okay. problem then Even they should better, have that now one. scoring and now scoring in every game um Maguire with the headers he's scoring as well like you say Pickford with the fact that we've now gone five games without conceding there's so many players that are playing this huge part and it feels like a, an incredible story. And I, I haven't had that in well, my lifetime as an England fan, except the 96, but that was tragic by the end of it. So I, th- I think it's great. I, I really like what Southgate's done. I feel very positive about this squad, regardless of what happens in a way. Like, I'll be really, really, really yeah. disappointed if Denmark uh, win, but... I I agree with you. I do think it's easy to maintain that positivity when you're winning and to not have the public backlash. I well look at Scotland. I don't know right? if the papers. I don't know if the papers will be quite so kind if England lose on Wednesday. I don't know if they'll still. I think there will be a lot of still positive message there, but I think depending on how the defeat goes, they're still going to attack some of the players and perhaps Southgate. But I said in the bar after England won quarterfinal and everyone was talking oh it's you know England they're definitely going to win now and stuff and I said to a couple of them are you prepared for um Sir Raheem Sterling and they're like well he won't he won't get knighted and I was like well yeah he will he will if England win the Euros I'm not saying instantly but like uh, in the next 20 years we're going to see him knighted right and I was like it's going to be Sir Harry Kane probably be Sir Maguire Sir Southgate then it becomes Sir Gareth Southgate for sure, and then it becomes complicated. The rest might there might just be some MBs and stuff thrown in for a few of them. You know, if you're out there playing right now as an England player, you've got to think I need to put in a really, really notable performance in the semi-final and the final just to secure <laughs> my knighthood. No, it, it's true though because most of the when England won the Ashes for the first time, what was it, two thousand and three or? Four? I can't remember. Yeah, Alistair Cook is knighted. Yeah, most of the team got OBs, MBs, knighthoods. They got it for bringing the Ashes home. <laughs> like, if mm. England win a first major tournament since 1966, where most of that team got knighted, OBs, that kind of thing, then why why not this one? And and also prepare yourself. I'd like to think, and we've discussed this previously, right? I'd like to think they would wait until their careers are over. I don't think it would necessarily happen in the next, say, New Year's Honours list or whatever. But every chance it happens before some of them retire, if they win the like, 
I mean, what's Sterling? 27? He's already a, gonna wait? an OB, isn't he? Like, or an, like an Andy Murray situation? Yeah. We're going to have Sir Raheem Sterling lining up for England. Just, I mean, like, <laughs> Sir if they, and again, I don't want to have these clips that people are then going to come back and laugh at how confident we were before then Denmark win or Italy win or Spain win. I think there's every chance. I said my confidence level against Ukraine was 100. I'm not going to lie. Like I did not. I went into that match and I didn't see how they were going to lose. I genuinely had no real nerves before the match. Germany, I was very nervous for. That Denmark, I am nervous for. And Italy or Spain, I will be nervous for. But the Ukraine one was just, I mean, this is, we could trot out the under-23s and should be that Ukraine side. So so my my last question, Eddie was very harsh on Southgate after the Scotland match and wanted to put in his resume for, for England manager being not adventurous enough and other words of that nature. How do you mostly rate just mostly his, adventurous, mostly adventurous. It was, it was mostly just you, one word. How do you rate, how do you rate his performance so far? Southgate. Yeah. I think as a manager, I, 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 I get not performance on the pitch. I think, <laughs> or did you I, mean, I like it Sam. Yeah. Did you think we, he was talking about me? <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, I don't know where I was going with that. Actually, so we'll just continue with Southgate. Um, that falls into that category that happens like twice an episode, where it's not clear if you're actually listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a lot of the big decisions that Southgate has made regarding like team selection and changing the squad up have worked, and and you have to give him a huge amount of credit. Like uh, the Germany game, especially, I my eyebrows were raised massively at the lack of front line, the lack of creativity as I probably saw it. And then lo and behold, look what's happened. Like Trippier comes back in, he has a really good game. It, it, it worked for England and it did exactly what was needed. Like Saka was really exciting at the start when England needed a positive start. Grealish came on and gave him that X factor that made him win that game. So lo and behold, he then goes into the Ukraine game, is a little bit a fair amount more attacking actually and lo and behold England then score four um even the Croatia game at the start I think Southgate had a was people were querying some of the selections and we come away with a 1-0 win we haven't conceded a goal and now we're scoring goals I, I think as far as like major tournament football goes England are getting better with every game and that's all you can ask for so I think I think it's you've got to go the Scotland game stops in being kind of near perfect but i'll give him like an eight out of ten if you're going to give a ranking or a score i'd give him a seven i'd give him a seven i think the germany game was an eight a c you're giving him a c i'm giving him a seven because i'm giving i'd give the group stages probably a six in that it was job done the croatia performance was good the scotland performance was bad and then the czech republic performance was okay but you should be beating the czech republic so that gets a six for me. Germany was an eight. Ukraine, it's like a seven, but a, you know, in the sense that I'm... How, look, what, what it has, has to be higher. There? Like, you can I only play what's in I front of you. This... No, because I can't say, I can't say a one in, in one respect. You know, two minutes ago I said, I couldn't see a way in which they could lose. I think our under-23s could have beaten that Ukrainian team. I had absolutely 
zero concerns going into the match. And then, oh, you won 4 0. I've got to give you a spectacular score. It like it was a good performance. Don't get me wrong. But England should be beating Ukraine 4 0, 5 0, 6 0. Like, that's the reality. Like, it, it at one moment in time, we're trying football, to like. Like, where we know yeah. that stuff doesn't happen as often as it, it does. It does happen. Not it doesn't happen with England. It does. Well, no, it doesn't happen with England, but it happens, it, it, you know, like uh, some of it, there has to be that moment where you go, he's got the Ferrari now. We have to judge him like he's in the Ferrari. Like that's the reality. We, we, but what, so, I get so what it. gives there's, you, what gives you an eight or a nine? Yeah. Seven, what, nil? What's the up? Is it goals <laughs> or is it? There couldn't have been, there couldn't have been an eight or a nine in that match. That was just like a. <laughs> But that means so England, England could not have played a perfect game in that, regardless of what they did. They couldn't have played a perfect no. game. No, it's such a harsh critic. I love it. <laughs> I understand the concept of what you're saying, but at some point you have to say they played a near perfect match, regardless of who the opponent is. I'm I'm very positive about their performance. I'm I'm not trying to be critical of the players or Southgate for that. It was very good, very professional job done. Beat Ukraine the way they should have done, and there were a lot of positives to take out of that that they could apply to better teams. Great, but I can't give it higher than a seven because it was Ukraine, and they're not that good. They like none of them would be in the England team, like none of them. And again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but like, okay, they got Zinchenko. What what would he be? England's fifth best left back? He's not even the best left back at City. You've got Yarmolenko. Hey, West Ham. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, Jesse Lingard didn't make the England squad. And, you know, he's West Ham's best player. So, you know, like, we could, there's got to be a reality check here a bit because all I'm saying is I'm not, I'm also, again, preparing myself for and then a disappointing performance against Denmark or, which is the most likely, I suppose, them playing, say, Italy in the final, which will be the real litmus test because Italy are in good form. I think it's a difficult matchup for England in terms of the way they play. Falling at that hurdle, and even though he's made the final, I couldn't give them a 9 out of 10. If they go and lose to for the tournament, if they then go and lose to Italy two 0 because it's like, well, you you beat Germany, that's it. Like but so far, like, that's the scalp. Croatia. But isn't that always going to happen? Like it's just the way no. of trying to find out why England can't justify a victory in a major tournament, <laughs> because you're always going to be like, yeah. well, all they did was beat Germany, so it's a disappointing tournament. It's like, well, you. The amount of opportunities England have had where they've no, played average compare, teams. Compare the, dif- compare the difference, for example. Italy, if they make the final, I mean, the expectations for Italy, even though people will have chosen them to win the tournament, they were kind of, you know, fourth or fifth favorites around that level. It was like in with a chance, but maybe that, like, that tier below the real favorites. If Italy make the final, I think they can say to themselves... And assuming they lose to England, if they lose to if they make the final and lose to Denmark, disappointment for them. If they make the final and lose to England in a decent performance in the final, I think they could give themselves like a nine out of ten for the tournament, maybe even a ten out of ten, because they would say, "Well, we had to beat Belgium, we had to beat Spain, like we had to go through real tests in to make it to this, and we proved ourselves against the elite." 
If England yeah. get to and the it, final and lose, like Germany aren't elite. They're Germany. It's a, an, a hurdle that is particular to England in some respects. But like this German team is not special. Right? And we won't have beaten anyone special. And again, you got to beat the teams in front of you. Job done. But let's also not make the mistake that I think was kind of made a little bit in the 2018 World Cup of like, well done making a semifinal. Put it this way. If I entered Roland, if, I, if they dropped me into Wimbledon tomorrow and I made the final because my first six opponents didn't have arms... I wouldn't. I wouldn't pat myself. I wouldn't pat, he'd be like, "Wow, I made the final of Wimbledon. What an incredible achievement!" And go. Well, yeah, what scenario of Wimbledon is this? That um, you're being airlifted what? in. <laughs> and I don't know what's more unbelievable that they're airlifting and dropping you in like it's, like it's um, what's the Mario game, the Rumble game, the Royal Rumble game. Oh, like Super Smash Brothers? Kind of Super thing? Smash Brothers, yeah. You're being dropped in like Super Smash Brothers. Or the fact that you are competing against people who have no arms. <laughs> I mean, none of it's likely. I'm just trying to assess the fact that... Oh, is it? You... It's not likely? <laughs> not yet. But, but I'm just trying to Spin make off. the point that just getting to a certain... There are you need context behind achievements always at any moment in life in everything that you do, and for this England team the context is the the Germany game so far is a test. Denmark will be a real test. They're still like Denmark are playing very very well. I think it's a it's a tough matchup in some respects for England. Like I'm not going to say Denmark's not Ukraine. I could give England a a, a ten against Denmark. It's. I'll put that out there now. There is a ten on the. I'll tell. And Luke Shaw is listening. He's going to tell Gareth. He's going to say, Eddie said there's a ten on the table here. It's possible. So it's possible. I guess. Boss. I guess moving on to that Denmark. Then, what did you think of them against the Czechs? Like, did you? So previous rounds they had scored four. They scored four against the Russians. You know, they're they're on kind of a real wave of like emotional confidence, but also they're playing really well as well. Like, did you see? Did it kind of take a step back against the Czechs? Because I, I I thought it was a little flatter than the last couple of games, but it was still professional. We know who we think they are, and <laughs> Denmark are they are missing their best player. They've had to change their formation and they deserve a tremendous, like they've changed, totally changed their formation to uh, adapt to not having Ericsson. So they deserve a lot of credit and their manager deserves a lot of credit. And there are players in there who have put themselves a little bit on the map in their performances so far in these Euros. But I didn't see, I, I don't think there's been some bad. I mean, throw out the Finland result because... Christian Eriksen died on the pitch. But, 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 that one's got to Sam. Um, But, you know, the group stages were okay. And yeah, they had a good, good first knockout round. And against the Czech Republic, like we've already seen England play the Czech Republic. We know kind of what they are. They were fine. They looked a little bit towards the end of the match. Like the Czech Republic were the better team in that second half. Denmark were very good in the first. England will go into this thinking, again, they're better all over the pitch. I think if you're Danish, the concern would be almost everything Denmark are good at is what England are good at in terms of 
style of pace of play at times, physicality, the tendency to occasionally be a bit direct. Um, they like to push with a three up front. They're kind of doing, it's a little bit more big and physical than England are with say Sterling and whoever else is playing out wide, but it's the kind of same concept where you've got these players getting, trying to get into channels and cause issues. I'm not Ukrainian confident, but I'm pretty confident England will win. Yeah. I just, just quickly going off of what you said too. I think in the second half, Czech Republic did look like the better team over Denmark. And that is something that kind of puts some confidence in England for me because England looked like a team that can play the whole 90. And, you know, that second half, they were they were dominating that second half. So if they can come out with that same early pressure that they've been doing every match, and they finally got a goal this time, you know, in that early pressure they've been putting on, but then also come out in the second half and continue to have that much pressure, I think Denmark, maybe they are fatigued and just worn down a little bit from the emotions of the tournament and everything, and they are missing their best players. That's, that's definitely going to impact a little bit. But I think... I think seeing the Czech Republic be that better team in the second half and seeing how England have played the last match, I think that could be a, a, a game changer there. Yeah, I mean, the way I would assess it is in the same way that England haven't had, maybe Germany aside, haven't had to pass any real tests to make it to the semifinal. Denmark haven't had to either. And they're bigger tests for them because they're not as good as England, but they still fun, they've not you know, done anything incredible to get to the stage at which they are now at. And I'd say every major tournament throws up that team that makes it to the quarterfinals or the semifinals, and people spend a little bit of time convincing themselves that they're better than they are. And then they face the first real test and come unstuck. And everyone goes, well, actually, it turns out they weren't really that good. It's just they're better than the Czech Republic. I think that's that's my feeling as to how we will feel on Thursday. But obviously there is a chance that Denmark spring the surprise. I'm not saying impossible that Denmark beat England, but it would surprise me. So what's your prediction score-wise then, I guess, thinking about that semi-final? I have England three, Denmark nil. So sixth game. Whoa, I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say the same oh, thing, oh, three nil. Oh dear. <laughs> For me... I love now it. I'm less confident. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I, I, I don't think England will concede, but um, I think England will probably win 2-0. And I think one of the large parts of it will be, obviously, they're back at Wembley now, and there's 60,000 fans there, and it will be a completely biased crowd in terms of support, emotion. And this isn't going to be a classic England crowd that will go against them if things are going wrong. This will be an England crowd that is going to raw consistently and constantly to make sure this team gets to a Wembley final. So I, I think I think the crowd will play a big part in this one, but uh, I'll go 2-0. No. I think 2-0. No. Turn our attention to the other semifinal, which fundamentally is the better of the two semifinals in Italy against Spain. Again, I think Italy are fundamentally the better team. Um, it's a little bit difficult to see for me where... If I'm Spanish, where my confidence comes from, because there's two things we know about Spain so far in this tournament. One, they're not great at defending. You will get chances. They all have mistakes in them. And two, they're not exactly clinical. So they're going to have to do, they're going to have to be one of those two things in this match, because Italy will create chances and will score. And Spain, this is the toughest def defense they will have faced in the tournament. 
they are not going to have as many chances as they have had in some of these matches so far. So they can't afford to have 15 chances to score and score once. Like it's just if you, so the fact that I'm going to have to expect Spain to buck two trends or at least buck one of their major trends so far, it's, I know Spinazzola being out for Italy is a blow and Emerson is not as good as him either going forward or defensively. So that will hurt them a bit. Um, I think it's a blow for Spain that the one person who kind of looks, who I would think would have a real chance of scoring in Morata plays on the same club team as the two Italian central defenders. And so you kind of have that feeling that they might know every trick they need to handle him as best as they can. Um, so I think my prediction for this is 2-0 Italy. Interesting. Like, uh, you're, you're exactly right about uh, Spinazzola. He uh, looks probably... He was their best performer before obviously getting injured, and I think that will hinder them a bit. But fundamentally, when you look at Spain, I agree with you. I think it, Italy are going to score within 90 minutes. But Spain have won, what was it, one of their last five games within 90 minutes? Like they, They're not winning. <laughs> like they're, they're struggling. They're having all this possession, but they're not breaking people down. And I think that kind of striker inconsistency or just striker's inability to finish the created chances that they get will kind of hinder them. So I think the fact that Wembley's probably going to be pretty quiet as well will kind of just slow it down. It might keep it a bit more cagey. It'll be a bit more possession football, but I think Italy may do this one like one nil. So what? So what do we think of the two previous matches? In obviously, I, I you have to think that the Italy beating Belgium was the better match than Spain surviving against the Swiss, right? Yeah. Now Italy looked impressive against Belgium again, and that's a real test yeah. with the fact that Kevin De Bruyne played didn't look hampered by his injury in any way. That's a real test to have passed. And if you're the Italians, you would, I think you'd tell yourselves that's the best team in this tournament in terms of, we discussed this, right? France had the best squad. I think Belgium had the best first 11 of any team in this tournament. So if you're, if you're Italian, and I know that they are celebrating with pizza and uh, soda, that is their post-match celebration. Yeah. Supposedly a really Italian... So it's supposedly a really Italian thing that um, in Syria, it's a, like the classic celebratory meal is pizza with just like, you know, like a very basic Italian pizza with just tomato and a little bit of mozzarella on it. Like nothing, not getting like, you know, meat no feast. Papa John's. <laughs> yeah. like, and then on top of it, and specifically with dough that's been prepared for been resting for 48 hours because then it's easier to digest this is another thing and then um, soda most popular is fanta to get their sugar levels back up post-match want to fanta (laughs) but yeah this is their thing and men and they have a because they have a very strict diet during this tournament they're not eating any red meat for example and they're yeah super strict and the only time that they kind of are breaking the diet is post-match after a win, when in their locker room, they'll have pizza and 
soda. Oh, so it's literally there but, for them, like the win, and then you've got these yeah, frantic yeah. chefs just running to the locker room and trying to put it on. Well, I mean, yeah, oh, you pizza could argue. takes three minutes. Yeah, I mean, you could argue, is it a curse? Because I got to prepare it four to eight hours ahead of time. You know, it's like printing the t-shirts. Like you've got to have the. You know, you so gotta... does this mean that there's going to be towns in Africa that are getting shipped dough <laughs> from a loss from Italy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't worry. Yeah, they all come lucky... with a free Italy final T-shirt as well. <laughs> yeah. And a can the of dough Coke. is wrapped in the T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's but... that's it's a big one eighty from England where their post match I saw. Saka on a unicorn in the pool. Oh yeah, <laughs> so a little, little different. It would be good, England, Italy. Again, I don't want to jinx anything, but I think fundamentally they've been the two most complete teams. So if it ends up being an England-Italy final, that feels like it's the correct final. Obviously, big semifinals to go that could all change, like. If Spain score five against Italy, then I'll feel differently about them. Or if Denmark take apart England, but assuming that they kind of copy and paste their performances in the se- and go through in the semifinals in a similar vein, then I think it feels like that's the correct. The tournament's got to where it should have done. But I guess we can uh, switch then from post-match meals to pre-Olympic drug use. <laughs> smooth (laughs) obviously yeah smooth transition as always i'm assuming she was favorite this is the bit i'm not because she obviously she broke the u.s olympic trials record right at the recent so this is shikari richardson you're talking about at the 100 meter dash yeah and she tested positive for marijuana she's been suspended for a month which means that she will miss the 100 meter event but she could potentially take part in one of the relays yes. i was gonna say th- there's been a lot of uproar about it um and she's actually been very open about it and came out and said that um she had and in- it sounded like she-, she ingested it she said from the way it sounds so maybe she had like a pot brownie or something i don't know but whatever or gummies or whatever but she said that she had had marijuana because she had found out her biological mother had died and kind of just, you know, had a moment and well, a re- a reporter told a reporter her. told oh, her. Wow, yes, yes. she found out. Yes, yeah, yes. Um, and I'm I'm so here's the issue I have. There's a lot of uproar from people pointing towards the U.S. being hypocrites, and you know, marijuana is legal in 18 states. How can the U.S. Suspend her and things like that. But what people don't understand, it has nothing to do with the United States. It's a WADA prohibited substance. So it's a world anti doping prohibited substance. And within that WADA, the US signs on to be a member of WADA and has to follow WADA's regulations. And one of the stipulations is if they test positive for a WADA substance, they have to be disciplined. So it's got nothing to do with the U.S. It's the U.S. following the international doping guidelines or anti-doping guidelines, I guess, in this case. But that's what's annoying about it is no one seems to get that. No, I'm torn on it because obviously it's not a performance enhancing drug. Um, I have no I'm not someone who 
smokes marijuana myself or ingests it in any way, but I don't care if people do. Like, it doesn't bother me. But, and I admire her in some respects for coming out and just owning it and being like, yeah, I know I did it. I knew it was illegal. I did it anyway. And I'm not saying that it's not true, but assuming her story is right and that it's not something that she's been doing regularly then I'm even more sympathetic because I can understand given such a traumatic piece of information that you might a do something that's a bit out of character or just be look for something that makes you deal with the stress and the anxiety or whatever a bit better than you maybe are otherwise. So I'm very sympathetic at the same time. I feel like some of the reaction to it, like, isn't this, this is unbelievable how in 2021 are we banning athletes for smoking weed? It's legal in 21 States whatever, you know, all the stuff that's getting like, this is ridiculous. This is basically a crime. Your employer or whatever you take part in is allowed to set rules. And when you decide to participate, you sign up to those rules. If I have an employer, for example, who decides they want to drug test me, then if I want that job, I've got to get drug tested and I might lose my job over something that is technically legal to do in society, but that they don't think is acceptable or up to the standard that they want to have or for whatever reason isn't okay and unfortunately she's in that situation and it seems harsh for sure it seems unnecessary i think they should probably remove it from the list of banned substances but it's there now and I think this is one of those unfortunate ones where I don't think the rule should change to allow her to compete in this Olympics, but post Olympics, they should change the rule, which will then get that whole set of people even more annoyed because they're like, oh, you were going to change it anyway. You were fine with it, but you didn't let her run. But I do think that sometimes you have to say, well, it was illegal when you did it. You're going to have to take this this punishment, which sucks. It's the absolute worst time this could have happened to you. If this had happened to you six months ago, no one would have even cared and we wouldn't have heard about it. But yeah, I don't know. It seems weird because it's detrimental to your sport development, right? It, it's it's not going to enhance you in any way. It's actually going to inhibit you. So it seems strange. well. So so, well, so WADA put out a paper like ten years ago saying that one of the reasons it was banned is it could give you an advantage to deal with the stress and anxiety of being a athlete in a high pressure sport. So like being able to kind of just relax and not get anxious after a race when you have another race coming up in like a day or something like that. I don't not, not saying I agree or disagree with that. I'd probably don't agree with that at all. I think that's kind of dumb, but that was one of their key points. A more recent paper kind of rejected that. And that's now why people are kind of saying, well, if there really isn't a benefit to it, then why is it still like, if you don't believe that to be the case anymore, then why is it still prohibited? which I think what's going to happen is exactly what Eddie said is they're going to address it next year and it'll probably be off the list in two to three years. It's always that tough one, right? Too, because it's illegal in a lot of places. So you're also talking about the world governing body of drug use now. Okay. Recreational drugs may be slightly different from what they need to be focusing on from a performance enhancing standpoint, but in the same way that if she tested positive for cocaine, right? no one would have said, let her off. And I'm not comparing cocaine and weed, very, very different drugs. However, there are places in the world where you can legally use cocaine. And so then does an athlete get to say, well, I was 
in the right place at the right time when I used it. So you can't punish me because when I was there, where I was, it was fine. It's, I can understand from a governing body standpoint, it's a difficult one. And people can't just be like, well, as long as you were in California, it's fine, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter if there are part, you know, and especially for the Olympic committee that the Olympics at times, right, is symbolic for certain ideals and standards and kind of this globally accepting vision. And there might be obviously countries participating in the Olympics that are not at all okay with someone smoking weed. So then the idea that this, she then maybe turns up and wins the gold medal. And then you have this kind of poster girl of recreational marijuana use winning the Olympics. And it kind of seems like a stamp of endorsement, a stamp of approval from the Olympics. And again, I'm not saying I feel that way, but I can understand from if, if I were trying to make that decision, it would be tough that I, I can't just, I can't just factor in my own views of. That's probably why it's just easier just to say no for everything, because then there's no ambiguity about usage or where you use it or what you take. You, it's just a simple no. You, you sign up to the rules of the game. Sorry to interrupt you. I guess just to counter my own argument to a certain degree, because I know someone will be listening and probably shouting this into their at their phone or their computer. Obviously, there's plenty of countries in the Olympics that wouldn't be okay with drinking alcohol, and the Olympics isn't trying to ban that either. Now, I do know, and this isn't related to any research I did for this, but this is because this is like a good pub quiz question, that the first Olympian to ever fail a drugs test failed it for his blood alcohol level and it's because he'd had several beers before he competed and the logic there was kind of the same which was that you could use alcohol to help yourself relax so it obviously wasn't a performance enhancing drug from the standpoint of making you faster or stronger but it could be in the sense that just the right level of alcohol usage could make you go into your olympic final and not be worrying about the, the the you know situation that you're in who was it i think I, I i swear i've heard this stat before but who who was it again because were they just smashed playing a sport and they were like we should probably test this person to see what's up well al- alcohol was on wada's list until 2018 for air sports automobile sports archery and power boating you could not have alcohol if you were competing in those sports. Well, alcohol that kind of and archery <laughs> <laughs> and power boating in particular, I get it. It's a, but the so to answer your question, it's Hans Gunnar uh, Lillenwall. Are you drunk? His name. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he was like, no one's going to be able to. They're going to ask me to say my name, and they're not going to tell if I'm be able to tell if I'm sober or not. So I'm fine. He, t- he, 1968 was the first Olympic Games to introduce d- drug testing for medalists with urine taken and analyzed for narcotics and stimulants. So that was at the Mexico City Olympics. And he was disqualified. He was a pentathlete and he was disqualified for excessive alcohol. Now we start a GoFundMe and a whole campaign to get Hans's medal back. This is, which would seem a little alt-right trollish, and I don't mean it to come away across that way, because I know that's how I'd be perceived, that like, oh, we don't want to help the uh, 
the black American female get into the Olympics, but we do want to help an undoubtedly white Swedish male get his medal back. But uh, I didn't mean it in that sense, but Too late. this is how we take off. Same way that that German, same way that that German girl who cried after the match, I'm not justifying again, the, the awful things that were said about her on social media, but Twitter's a cesspit. We know this already. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Not that that's defending it either. But the fact that they have raised 26,000 pounds to give her because people said mean things about her on the internet. Have you seen the new thing people are doing now is they're taking vacation trips, like road trips and driving and putting their Venmo on the back of their car and people are giving them money for their road trip and for their vacation. It's now like a legitimate thing people are doing. I forget what it's called. It has a name. So like you go on a road trip, you put in the back of your car with your Venmo and like where you're going. And then people like people are just getting hundreds and thousands of dollars from random people. Your Venmo's, I mean, that's got to be a serial killer's dream. Right? <laughs> just like following a target. And they've gone, this is a key piece of information about me. And this is where I'm going. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, these guys are making it easy for me. I used to have to like hunt them. <laughs> but actually, Eddie, you, you, you bring a good segue up with the um, giving back an award when rules are changed. Reggie Bush has been back in the news now because with the new NCAA policy of the NILs, so profiting off of your name, image, and likeness, many people have been saying that Reggie Bush should get his Heisman back for the money he received, like benefits, whatever you want to call it, he received during his college football career. So what do we think about that in particular, and then just the NILs in general. So I'm fine with athletes being allowed to earn money from their image rights. I'm not in favor of athletes, the concept of athletes getting paid like as professional uh, college athletes being paid like professional athletes. I think they should get, and we've discussed this before, right? I think there should be a pension available to them. I think that they, you should be getting medical insurance for life because of the possibility that something you did representing the University of Alabama means that your knees are shot at 45 and you can't afford to deal with it or CTE or whatever, anything else it could be. I'm fine with them. You know, like there's been ridiculous standards where people can't have, you can't monetize YouTube channels that they're, when they're, you know, making videos about themselves. It's all been a bit dumb. I, I don't think Reggie Bush should get his Heisman back. He knew what he was doing was wrong when he did it. And that's the reason he should lose his Heisman. It's not about whether or not the rule was right or wrong. It's that he knew he was breaking a rule. He failed. Like if we're assuming that the Heisman is in part kind of like a character award too, not that it is, but there's kind of an endorsement of being like the face of college football for that year. He failed a character test in a sense. And that's harsh. I'm, I'm reluctant. Charles Barkley, I think, made a good point speaking about it. I'm always reluctant to use Charles Barkley. I really like him, but he's obviously, you know, he's on record as often being quite a conservative black American, and he does get used by Republicans and conservatives as like, look, look, uh, we, we can get a black guy to agree with us, so it's fine, right? Like, we're not racist anymore. And however, I do think he made the important point, which is we have to be careful not to we have to reinforce to athletes and the nation as a whole that getting free education is not nothing like to anyone and education should be free like i'm obviously as a you know a european 
I think it should be affordable for every person in your society. But I think it's important to still tell these people there is a tremendous value in the education that you are getting because most of you aren't going to become professional athletes. And equally, we can't tell the football player there's no value in education, but then tell the guy trying to do his science degree that there is. You know, like we have to have something be a bit consistent. Um, but yeah, I don't have a good thought of it. And then again, a little bit like the drugs test, I'm kind of a little all, all over the map. But do you think it then takes away from the education because they're going to be more focused maybe on like the social media side of things? Or is it still going to be a requirement that you have to do the base level of education that you normally would? Or is that going to change now as priorities change maybe towards money and imaging? I, I don't think the education will suffer because you still have to hit minimum standards. So you still have to have a minimum GPA going into your freshman year, your sophomore year, junior year. They're not going to lower those. And to be honest, it is not a struggle for sports teams to hit like a high percentage of people hitting that threshold, but they do need extra support and extra effort. Like there is a wealth of things available for athletes to make sure they're hitting those minimum standards. So if anything, you might see more athletes become ineligible because they're not, because they're not focused enough on their, on their academics. But I don't think the academic side will lower their standards now because athletes are going to argue that now they're spending more time trying to promote things on YouTube and and Instagram, because I mean, you, you've seen the pushback they had from doing this originally. They're not all of a sudden going to concede and say, oh, you're, you're right. You know, let's let's make it a 1.5 GPA you need to hit. I think if anything, they're going to I would be surprised if they up it now to kind of like get back at them for having to make this rule possible because the NCAA didn't want this to happen for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, look. Maybe. I think you, you're right there in a way. But then we also know that there's famous examples like UNC when they had that all their basketball players were taking Swahili or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was just because it was literally like, turn up, we give you an A. Like this is the G, like only athletes were taking the Swahili course. And it was literally just like, this is the your GPA bump. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting like we had Coach Rod, Rob Robinson on, right? It'll be interesting to see how the last chance you seasons change now that those people with that level of exposure when you're not really famous like someone who you would expect couldn't make money out of their likeness how does that change their dynamic when they're suddenly thinking like i'm getting netflix exposure and i can make money now even though you would have never expected to be getting a sponsorship deal or any kind of money when you're you're not even going to be potentially a division one athlete at any point in your life yeah and that's actually a really valid point too because i saw i don't know if you saw master p's son just signed a two million dollar deal for i forget what it was like some random company but then you go yeah it's an app you then go and look and he's an incoming freshman at tennessee state you know it's not like he's the number one guard at duke you know so it's not obviously the caliber of athlete you are will play a large part, but there's more to it, right? There's, do you have a good social media following regardless of how good of an athlete you are? You know, are you in the spotlight on a random Netflix show, even though you're not at a division one school? Like there's a lot of other factors now that will influence this. Is your father master P? (laughs) Yeah, that that helps too. (laughs) But that's what I mean. You know what I mean? Like it's, 
it's not it, it's not you don't have to just be the best player but let's flip it on you because out of the three of us obviously you're the only one who, who played division one sports in the u.s uh you went there with a scholarship would this have been would do you think difficult to put yourself back in the 18 year old mindset do you think you would have gone to penn state and thought to yourself okay i can nail the academics and i can nail my sports but i also want to try and build say a social media like i want to try and make money out of being a division one athlete at the same time it's tough i would say i never nailed the sports either so that was a a difficult point i couldn't get past nailing the sports <laughs> oh the sponsors are lining up now <laughs> yeah i i have never been a huge social media person so for me that would have been a very daunting task to try and like it it does take a certain type of person and a certain type of commitment to you know build that social media following and everything like that and i don't think i could have done it Worth just saying at this moment in time that Frank, you you basically run the Big Chill Podcast Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone out there who wants to judge whether or not they think Frank could have made money if he was could you know go fifteen years back in time, but then bring himself to present day, I guess um, <laughs> is uh, yeah. Follow us. Look for the Big Chill Podcast on Instagram or on Twitter, and you can get a sense of of what we do on social media, and then you can judge our potential. To yeah. I mean, I still have some you, Sam. You and I, we've still got eligibility left, right? So we're okay. <laughs> Technically, wow. you still have full eligibility. Yeah, I mean, this is maybe this is where I make my move. I'll be part time England manager and part time Division One athlete. And part-time stable owner with the virtual horse horses. And as part-time well, podcaster right? too. Yeah, I'll be busy. And and I'll do some podcasting occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I will say though, looking back on it, there are cl- clear people in my mind that would have done it and would have been pretty successful at it just because of their relentlessness of you know like contacting sponsor after sponsor and post after post and doing this engagement and that engagement, you know, there were people who probably would have been very successful, even in track and field, you know, where it's not a huge lucrative sport or anything like that. I still think you would have seen some people that I know personally that were successful. Which is the interesting thing, right? Because people kind of lose their minds over this. I think kind of people can't see the woods from the trees at times when they talk about the concept of college athletes being paid. Because I think when people talk about college athletes being paid, everyone thinks of, the star quarterback at a division one school or, you know, the starting point guard at Duke or UNC or Kentucky. They're not thinking about the division three athlete who nobody knows, maybe even on campus or someone playing a sport that doesn't get the same, you know, like, Oh, you're the number one badminton player in us college. Like, do they have any potential? Now I'm sure from a sponsorship standpoint and stuff. Yes. And I'm sure there's a big niche, but it's sometimes I think everyone talks about what a sort of life-changing moment. They almost speak about like every college athlete suddenly is going to have just money flowing in. And it's in the reality, it's like, well, yeah, now, now the 50 athletes who we all know, we all knew were going to go on and make huge sums of money. They can make huge sums of money two or three years earlier now. Like that's kind of what we've agreed to. 
So I, I can tell you from a personal example, I know that the University of Arizona has set up an entire almost department now to coordinate with athletes who want to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. And you can go and they can set you up with certain organizations and people. They can help you with promotions and things like that. So I know universities where, are setting up Frank, stuff to do. Where are we in this? <laughs> we can sponsor anyone we want now. We can sponsor an athlete. Wow. I don't want to sponsor them. I want I want them to want feel to like I want to own I want to own them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't get what you free. want to do that if you don't want to. You're free them. of the NCAA now. You're gonna go fall. Now you get to be controlled by the Big Chill Podcast. And look, that's also kind of what we're ignoring too, is this might be a case of better the devil you know in some respects, and I'm not begrudging anyone from being able to make money, but there's going to be a world of problems that we are going to go through. The teething issues on this one is going to be go for a while, and there's going to be scandals. For sure there are going to be scandals. Someone is going to get money to do something they're not supposed to. Someone's going to get money to, I mean, it all opens up when you imagine that at the same time gambling in the U.S. is opening up and becoming more acceptable, you are throwing out a big possibility now of, hey, my app will sponsor you if in the college football playoffs you throw four interceptions. But we'll just keep that one quiet, right? But like no one will be able to work out the connection. But No, even worse, they write it into the contract. <laughs> if yeah. you make college football playoffs, must throw four interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> or contract is void. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, and not to be cynical, but no, we have right. to prepare ourselves. There are going to be real scandals in the future. Now, now let me throw one back at both of you. Going back to your university days, let's say you are playing the sport of your choice. Who would you have gone out and asked to have sponsor you? And let's keep it realistic, you know, not to say you're going to go to... I actually don't even know what sport you would even say you're playing, but you're not going out to like Nike and asking for sponsorship. <laughs> I mean, I played three different sports at different well, you stages. Pick one, of Mr. Athlete. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I I did three, two of which would have no. I mean, rowing, right, is such a niche one. You're just going to people who like rowing. Like, they are sponsors there, but it's, again, you're not, you can't cast that net particularly far or wide. Tennis. Tennis, you could have, tennis, I just want, I want stuff. I just want someone to be giving me lots of gear. And like I'm obviously not going to attract like <laughs> Nike or not not cocaine yeah, by the way. No, no, that too. <laughs> so just Bob on the corner. I just be like, hey, do you want to sponsor me? If you can give me a kilo a week, that will be perfect. I'll use some. I'll resell some. I'll be really g'd up for matches, and this is gonna be this is gonna be great. But uh, no, um, yeah, I think I would have gone for probably localish sports like gear manufacturers to get like free tracksuits free t-shirts free shorts free shoes like that's and then the probably your best bet right is kind of getting sponsored by like a local store that's then giving you nice stuff like nike and adidas stuff or whatever 
spot they're giving it. It's like, but did you have a local store like that? Do you have one in they, mind? Mm, no, they did exist. That's tough because if we can't go to the big companies, it, it kind of makes it tough. Like the one sport I played a bit was football, and so like, how do you? It's it's kind of tough to then be like, okay, shall I? Because I'm a goalkeeper, do I want to be sponsored by like the net producers? <laughs> like, what do you like? Get creative, Sam. What about like antiviral software? Like you keep out anything, stuff like that. You got to get creative. Like your job. Oh, so you okay? <laughs> so you mean sponsored by like Kapersky or someone like that? <laughs> oh, you could have been sponsored it's by. Clever. Oh, Sam, it's that fun. would have been perfect for you because you're like an anti-vaxer, anti-COVID guy. You could have been sponsored by McAfee, and you could. Oh yeah, you, and then and then being found. Two of you could have just ended up on an island somewhere, just. <laughs> What an what an article in the athletic that would have been. Yeah, I mean for context, right? Like, even when I played like rowing, we were a Division One rowing program. You got your very very basic equipment for free. Like you got like what you would fundamentally need, like your uniform. But everything beyond the very very basic thing, you had to buy yourself. So even in university colors. Like if you wanted, if you didn't want to just be in your basic Lycra, if you wanted anything one level up, if you wanted the jacket that you were going to row in when it was freezing for training, if you wanted your tracksuit, if you wanted all that, you had to buy it yourself. So just being on the team was like a 500 pound expenditure, even if you weren't trying to spend money. So it would have been nice. And and it doesn't just stop there, right? Like when we interviewed uh, John Buckley. He was saying that, you know, he still has to sort out his own boots. And that's at the second tier level of yeah. English football. That's mind blowing to me still. So it is a bit crazy. But, you know, so Frank, I guess to your point, like no one's going to a university person to get a sponsor anyway. So you'd have to go to like the local greengrocer or like yeah, <laughs> someone yeah. like that if you're going to get a sponsor. That's not a bad move, though, either. If you've just been like, I want free eggs and chicken breast. You know, like <laughs> just those two things. <laughs> Give me all your eggs and chicken. I actually think I'm not, a I'm good not, one I'm not robbing like them. A so. very local, like a local charity. You could do a local charity. That would be a good one. But so a local, if you go like, hey, you know how you've been trying to feed the children? Instead of feeding the children, do you think you could feed me? I'm a Division feed One athlete. <laughs> no, or you could every week on your shirt, you have a picture of a missing child. You oh, know, like to the, try and raise awareness of where the child is, like, like the, on Roma, the milk cartons. the Roma so player signing. They move. You're like a milk box. Yeah, well, Roma, milk Roma do this. Roma have famously done this with their when they sign new players. In addition to putting out the press that has the player and their photograph, they attach to it a missing child's photograph so that that circulates. <laughs> Keep it's... point there, photograph. Because you, until you said it, you were like, they attach a missing child. Oh, yeah. Photograph. Yeah, they negotiated that way. So when like Chris Smalling signed United, we're like, we need nine missing children. Like, I think mine would be, we had this sandwich place called Are You Hungry? And they did fat sandwiches. And we used to go as throwers pretty often, at least once a week. And, you know, get like the sandwiches that are chicken tenders, mozzarella sticks, french fries, like 
literally the what they call fat sandwiches. So I think that would be a good one where it's like, hey guys, we come here once a week at least, and what you're giving us is translating to our abilities out in the circle throwing. Why don't you give us a little sponsorship? Because all the other throwers that then come and watch us are going to be like, how do I get big and strong like those guys? I need to eat it. Are you hungry? <laughs> or so you guys turn up <laughs> and they go like, Frank Duca just finished dead last yet again in competition. <laughs> do we think it's because he turns up wearing it's, it's this heart stopper burger? <laughs> <laughs> well, what an endorsement for this local local restaurant chain. Yeah, Frank has an absolute stinker of a game. He comes here, he eats a load of food and then just has I incredible mean, bowel movements. Imagine the scenario, Frank, <laughs> that you like christian erickson to yourself mid-track meet and they were like wow, wow that sponsorship really, is eddie's really going after christian erickson today <laughs> that sponsorship has not worked out well good idea you could have a you could have a sandwich named after you as well, well the fat do, frank you could do that <laughs> i think already was a fat frank but you can do that anyway you oh. just eat i think you have to eat three of the original and then you can make your own Something that's like that, it, two or three of the original. Wait, you eat three sandwiches and then you can have your own name. Well, they're big, they're big sandwiches. Let's not underestimate these sandwiches. <laughs> it's not, it's not like we're eating a little Big Mac. <laughs> Still, I will agree. I, I think I agree now with your assessment, Frank. I don't think you would have been great at nailing the sponsorship because it seems you set your bar, even in a hypothetical, totally fictional scenario, incredibly low. <laughs> So I've got one final topic for us. Frank, I'm going to guess you've seen this. Sam, you may have also seen this. But I doubt you mem- either of you memorized it. It plays into your favorite thing, Frank, and a regular segment we do on the podcast, which is top 10 lists. I'm guessing who's on them. Ooh, I'm peaked. But I don't know if you saw Instagram released its rich list or a social media sort of marketing company that helps people make money off Instagram released its Instagram rich list is I think the actual thing that has happened, which is basically the top 10 people on Instagram for how much they are paid for a single post. Who do you think is number one? This is Instagram, not TikTok. This is specific to Instagram, yeah. Okay. One, I would say, has to be a Kardashian. It's not, but let's strip them off the list because Kendall Jenner is 10, Kim Kardashian is 6, and Kylie Jenner is 4. So three of the top 10 go out the window just through the Kardashian family. Okay. So... I hadn't seen the list, but I know someone that's always up high with these things, and it's um, Dwayne Johnson. Like, I know he's always high up there. The Rock is number two. Now, here's a real question before we even go. He's not far behind in terms of how much he's making off a single post. How much do you think The Rock gets paid for a single post on Instagram? I'm going to say 150000 All right, Sam? Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're going higher. I think it's going to be like... 
I actually think it might be like a million. Well, if you to add your bids together, you're right. One point five million. <laughs> one point five. Really? One point five two million per post, and he's number two. He's not far off. That's insane. I'll simplify this for you. So you've got number two, number four, number six, and number ten. Okay, are any athletes? Two of them are athletes. The remain. Uh, yes, the rest are all singers. Okay. Ronaldo, Ronaldo is number one. Ronaldo is number one. He brings in yeah. one point. $1.6 million per post. God. It's just mind-boggling that the, the vast majority of the world will never make that amount in their lifetime, and they're making it for one single post of a picture. Outside of so everything else they do. With. Yeah. <laughs> but also Outside of the 400k a week. Yeah, it's hard to grasp from like a conceptual standpoint. Oh, no, impossible to imagine. And then also when you factor in, right, for most of it, they probably do nothing. So their team finds them the deals or is approached for the deals. They've got a social media manager, probably, I mean, an agency managing their social media. It might be as simple as like, hey, Cristiano, we're going to mail you a T-shirt. Can you just like put this on at some point in the next two weeks and someone snaps a photo of you and we'll, we'll put it up with a nice caption? Like that might be the most, absolute most work. And then to think that, okay, a lot of that's going to be taken away, right? Like there's going to be fees going out to all sorts of people. Let's say he's getting absolutely done on this and he's only making $250,000 after taxes and all various other fees. Still crazy. It's Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you can picture, and I'm not diminishing the amount of hard work he puts in as an athlete and everything else, but you can picture him sitting around with his family saying, hey, do you guys want to go on like a private yacht in the Mediterranean next weekend? Yeah, okay. Okay, hold on. Let me call my agent up and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll nail an Instagram post and we'll get the money and go. I mean, that's, it's just crazy to think that that's how easy it's, something yeah, like that would be. And you probably that's money on demand, isn't it? Yeah, you could probably get the yacht as the ad and get the <laughs> yacht for free and collect the money. <laughs> No, I mean, it would be impossible to have any level of respect for money, honestly, or even any real concept of money anymore, because I don't know how you would do it. Like, it would be asking me the ability to basically print your own money. It would be like asking me how much, how much do I value it when I have like five cents in my pocket or whatever. And if you had to be like, hey, Eddie, can you produce uh, I really need five cents in the next two days. Do you think you get and be like, I'll get it. No worries. I'll handle the five cents. And then for Ronaldo, that's like someone turning around. Small time, like, small time business. You know, someone turning around and being like, hey, Cristiano, you can scrape together a million for this. And be like, easy. <laughs> Do you have an iPhone? <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So, so you're. One is two. So we're missing three. Yeah. So there's. You're missing so three. There's one more athlete, did you say? And there's one, one more, more athlete. athlete. Yeah. Ooh. But number three is not the athlete. Three is not. So you are missing three. So as I said, they're all now left. There is one athlete and they are, the rest are singers. Um, so you're missing three, five, seven, eight, and nine. Okay, so Frank, you guessed 
Go ahead. Okay. I've got a guess too. I'm going to guess Bieber. Bieber is number nine. One point one. Nine. I mean, look, we're talking fine margins Pathetic here. Pathetic amounts of money. He, 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 he's 1.11 million. So, you know, like it's not an astronomical difference uh, between him and the top, but. I'm going to say three is a female singer. I'm going to go Correct. Why? Taylor Swift. Not even on the top 10. It's a good show. <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I have another guess. What about well, Sam's film? guess. Well, we're just ignoring the guest structure here. I'm not sure. Oh no, we're going. I'm not sure that's actually, how it works. Actually, we're going snake style on the guessing. I respect it. We're going snake style. Um, Selena Gomez is number five with one point four eight million. Sorry, four six even. All right, Sam, you have two guesses. <laughs> Sam, you've got two guesses. I mean, just going for like hyper-famous celebrity singers like Beyonce. Beyonce is number eight, one point one four million. So you are you are missing four. I'm mean, sorry, you are missing three and seven. One of them is a singer, and one of them is an athlete. And Sam, an it's athlete. your guess. Is the athlete surprising? I'll let you get. I'll let you each have one more guess, and then I'll give clues for the two remainder. Number seven will surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to clickbait it eight into it, but yeah. <laughs> um, Neymar. Not Neymar. Frank. I thought his poker work would have been recently elevating that. Who's your guess, Frank? All right, it's a female singer. Uh, it is Ariana Grande. It is Ariana Grande. Oh, that's a good one. So Ari- Ariana Grande comes in at number three, one point, <laughs> so one point. F- follow every person. <laughs> <laughs> this is just your list of food Frank follows. Now, you could either take that as oh, an. It, you could take that as an insult that you're just very basic, or you could take it as a compliment that you're like a kingmaker. You can, you, I'll let you decide how to interpret that. Um, you're now missing number seven. Now, here's the thing: is if they're correct here as to this, the sums of money, and I'm assuming this is an average, you know, because I'm, I'm sure it's not one flat fee. It probably depends what they have to do or whatever. If this is true. And you have Ronaldo at one point six, Ariana Grande's third at one point five one. If you're her, even if you don't need that extra little bit of money per post, I'm like telling my team, we can bump this up a little bit, and we're number one next year, right? Like, how are we missing out by such a small margin? But anyway, you're missing number seven. He, it's an athlete. It's Sam. Do you want the clue? Oh, now he doesn't. Yeah. Sam, I'm going to say it's an Indian cricketer. So who's the most famous Indian cricketer? It's not. So you think it's Kohli? It would have to be Virat Kohli, but it is. It's not an Indian cricketer. So my clue will be it's a good guess. not American. Not the you know, I might give a better clue later, but that, that does. You've just eliminated everyone in the NBA, NFL, 
So, so it's got to be a footballer. So I've said Neymar. So I guess I'll go for the other one, which is Messi. Correct. You know, we... What a bitter pill to swallow for Messi, I... right? In the who's better debate. Money-wise, he's not getting it. So what does he earn in seventh? Well, 1.16 million. We can obviously make our standard messy joke, though, and say that that's 1.2 million after tax. I mean, (laughs) 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 probably writes off all of the, like, camera equipment. It's it's even more impressive when he's only got 60 followers. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and they're all his dad's fake accounts. But, but yeah, no... um, Interesting list. Does surprise me a bit. The fact that there's a total lack of American athletes surprises me slightly. Like I would have, I would have guessed LeBron James at some point. Um, but I all the celebrities, but like all of the um, all of the singers were American, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got ninety point. He's got 90.2 million followers. And Messi, I think, has like probably like over 200. I know he's nowhere near 200. Messi has 200 and 226, yeah. <laughs> just out of interest, just out of interest, the Coley, the Coley thing was interesting. Like, what, what is Coley like on Instagram? Has he got, he must have, an, he's got an entire nation. <laughs> How many? 170 million? So, he's so basically got the population of India. Well, no, well, that's a that's a no. He <laughs> like a billion. Col, Col, uh, Frank thinks he has one fifth of India follows him. He he he's got one hundred and thirty three million followers. So you weren't that far off. So just over like ten percent. Wow. Is this our new podcast? Do we just scrap the rest of it and you name people and you guess how many Instagram followers they are? There we could we could do it forever. We'd have at least. 50 seasons. He's perked up. He's perked up. Yeah. Can't wait till we're on that list. Once Frank really starts putting in some effort on Instagram. What are we, like 72nd at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our revenue was just missed out on cracking that list. Something to aim for next year. When we go to -to head-to-head with Ronaldo. Yeah, I guess that just about wraps it up. We're obviously, next episode could have a major, I mean, the next two episodes are at risk of a major mood shift. Uh, I guess that one is, that's the, what we have have to acknowledge. We have been quite happy in this one. The next one may be disgustingly unhappy or deliriously incredible. Let's hope for the deliriously incredible. See ya. Cheerio.